brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Thursday, June the 15th, 2023. It is currently 5.35 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, it was right here in Abilene, Texas, in 1988, 1988, right here in Abilene, Texas, that a teenager drove his car down Butternut Street, right here in Abilene, Texas, 1988. Maybe it was a truck. I don't remember the vehicle. Or Well, the teenager doesn't remember the vehicle, but there was a teenager in 1988 driving a vehicle of some type, and he was driving down Butternut Street in Abilene, Texas, and he turned left into the parking lot of the Bible bookstore. 1988. He walked into the Bible bookstore And he saw a brand new book that had been released called The Gospel According to Jesus by John MacArthur. It was a brand new book. 1988. Now, this young, this teenager had not been a Christian for very long, had not been a Christian that long, and was still a lot of learning was going on, still did not understand a lot, but he picked up that book, The Gospel According to Jesus by John MacArthur, and read every single word, maybe six times, maybe seven times within a short period of time, and began to understand the gospel in a very specific way, because the gospel according to Jesus lays out an understanding of the gospel that you, that became known as lordship salvation or a lordship 
gospel, to simply believe in Jesus. No, 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 no. You get to believe in Jesus and you have to not only accept him as savior, you have to accept him as Lord. And if you truly accept him as Lord, then you will do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, N, Z. And if, 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 you're not doing those things. If you're not doing those things, if there's not enough of those things present, or if you're not doing them the right way, then guess what? There is a high probability, maybe even a likelihood, that you were never saved. You must accept him as Savior, but you must accept and surrender to him as Lord. And if you really did that, then your life will show it by doing all of these things. In fact, if, you, if you're not sure... Then there, here's a test. Here's how you know if you're truly saved. Do you do this? 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 Therefore, your assurance is not, your assurance does not come from the perfect finished work of Jesus Christ. Your assurance of salvation does not come from the imputed righteousness and the imputed, imputed obedience of Christ. Your, your assurance comes from what you do. Now they may say God is doing it through you, but still it comes to your works, your actions, you stopping this sin or, or you are, you know, sinning less or whatever. If you're looking to yourself. It was, a, it's a very specific way of looking at the gospel. Jesus may have died and saved you. And, and if you truly believe in him, you have to believe him as savior. You have to believe him as Lord. You have to surrender to him as Lord. And then you will do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Uh, however, however many letters I left out of the alphabet, you get the idea. You have to do the entire alphabet of obedience. And if you fall short, then, hey, you don't get assurance. Your assurance is based on how you're living. Your assurance is not based on what Christ did. Think of it this way. Your assurance is based on what you are doing, not on what Christ did. Your assurance is based on the righteousness demonstrated in your practice and your practice in your daily life, not in the perfect imputed righteousness of Christ that is yours by faith alone. It's a very specific Gospel. Now, obviously, I, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't do a great job in my introduction there, but clearly that teenager was me. I was a brand new Christian, had not been saved very long, drove down Butternut Street in Abilene, Texas, turned into the Bible bookstore, and there was a new book called The Gospel According to Jesus. Now, I don't remember, remember all of the conversations going on in the Bible bookstore at the time, but I know that there was like a little bit of buzz, a little bit of controversy happening, and I didn't really understand what the controversy was about. I read it, and my mind was, oh, this is the gospel. This is the way it is. So, okay. Well, I know these people, they're probably not saved. Those people are probably not saved. And then, you know, I started, I started like, okay, well, I know I'm doing these things. I know I'm doing these things. I know. So I started trying to grab onto things that I knew I was doing well, right? I read the Bible more than anyone. I listen to more sermons more than anyone. I don't miss an, I don't miss a church service. I, I do this. I do that. I started focusing on all the things that I knew I did well. 
and clung to that and tried to downplay the things that I knew I wasn't doing so well. The things that weren't going so well, I kind of downplayed that, right? I kind of minimized. Well, I mean, I, I know that I'm doing wrong. I know I'm struggling. So I feel guilt. Like I tried to find a way to, to make sure that those things didn't call my salvation into question. I wasn't willing to give everyone else really so much grace or mercy. I'm like, if you're truly saved, you would surrender to him as Lord. And if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. You need to get your life right. And then I was just basically judging and condemning anyone and everyone I could find. Now you can say, well, that wasn't the intent of the book, but it's definitely what it led to. And it also began to lead me at times to begin to question my own salvation because I'm like, well, I keep trying. I'm doing this and I'm doing that. In fact, I got so disturbed and so distraught over my own Christian life that I, I literally asked my pastor, could I possibly have a demon? Because I mean, I, I'm not, you know, like just, it, it just, it led to all kinds of, of problems. Now there was a little bit of reprieve there because I, I left the Baptist church and went to a Lutheran church where they weren't talking about MacArthur. They were talking about the proper distinction between law and gospel. Did not quite understand at the time the conflict and maybe a different way of looking at things because I was still trying to impose, even I, I was teaching the Lutheran teenagers at the time, I still was trying to pose a very lordship view of salvation even upon them. Hey, if you guys truly claim to be Christians, then you will surrender to him as Lord. Like I, it was like, and it wasn't that I was thinking lordship is right and other things are wrong because literally in my mind, I, I understood lordship to be the gospel, the only gospel. I didn't even know there was another alternative there. Like if I even heard anything that sounded a little different, I just interpret it through a lord's a lordship lens, right? I just I just interpreted it through a lordship lens and said, "Hey, this this is the way it is." All because of that driving down Butternut Street in 1988 and and picking up that book. I had no idea the the impact it would have on my life. As I got into the 1990s, I joined the military. I was stationed at Offutt Air Force Base in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, and I ended up attending an independent fundamental Baptist church in Papillion, Nebraska, who they had some major issues with MacArthur. They had some major issues. They believed MacArthur was wrong. This was when the, the, the blood of Christ controversy was going on. So they had a lot of issues with him, but they did like the kind of, they were very much more like lordship idea. Like they liked his lordship idea. Like, hey, you're not really a Christian if Jesus isn't Lord of all. And if he's Lord of all, then you're not going to be going to the movie theater. You're not going to be listening to secular music. Your hair is not going to be long and a woman will not wear pants. And you definitely won't be using the NIV. They kind of took lordship and created their own rules. They didn't like MacArthur. They took the lordship idea. So it was still lordship. They just didn't want to be associated with MacArthur because they believed MacArthur was all wrong about the blood and, and other issues. And of course, they didn't use the King James, so they had problems with that. Okay, you get the idea, but lordship was still very much there. So here I am in another church. I'm still getting the lordship idea. Now, I start realizing Somewhere in this time in the 1990s, whoa, there's a lot of people who kind of go against this lordship idea. So I just started referring to them as, oh, they believe in easy believism. They believe in a cheap grace. They don't really understand the gospel. They just want Jesus as Savior, but they don't want him as Lord. And then I just threw names at these people believed that they were all wrong and didn't really give it much thought because because I just thought that that was like the minority of a minority view because in my mind, 
you know, my salvation almost like came very close to the time of the publication of the gospel according to Jesus. And that's all I knew. So anything else was like, where did these new ideas come from? Like, like anybody who doesn't uh, accept lordship salvation, I just kind of acknowledge, I just thought, well, they're not really like, this is like a, some new thing I, because I didn't have a, any kind of, kind of context for, um, let's say, uh, church history, right? I didn't, I didn't really understand what, which view was when and where did they, like, I didn't really have any context historically to really understand things. It's just like, that's it. And I would hear that phrase all over. If Jesus isn't Lord of all, he isn't Lord uh, at all. If Jesus isn't Lord of everything, he isn't Lord of anything. Like that, just this concept. Like if, jo- if Jesus isn't Lord of everything, he isn't Lord at all. And I would say that in my own preaching, my own teaching. And I would, I would go hard after the youth group when I wasn't put in the youth group. You're not really saved because you're not surrendering to Jesus as Lord because you don't care about this. You don't care. I mean, I mean, I went in like, like right, right to, for the throat, right? Because that's the way I thought Christianity was. And we're tired of all these fake Christians and all of this and easy believism. And it's just like, that's the way I thought. But I did not stop my education, right? Just with those books. I kept reading and kept reading and kept reading and kept reading and kept reading. And little by little, I still did not completely realize what I was doing, right? That I was, in a sense, downplaying the imputed righteousness of Christ. And I was focusing on what we do. I was not, I was, I was no longer focusing on what Christ had done. I was focusing on what we do. But during this time, I started hearing, there was a lot of discussions. I, I discovered Dr. James White very early on, and he was doing a lot of debates with Catholics and uh, a lot of, there was lots of arguments going on with Catholicism because it was, I was a student at Grace University in Omaha, Nebraska. And that do- document came out, uh, Catholics and Evangelicals Together. Um, I think it was ECT, Evangelicals and Catholics Together. And it was a big controversial document, right? That these Evangelicals and Catholics were like, hey, you know, we have all of this in common. And, and, I, and I was like, well, wait, wait a minute. Do we have, we, are we, are we the same? And then I started realizing. And so I did, I had to do a presentation where I, I said, the Catholic gospel is not, you know, the right gospel. And, and then I watched all of these debates and then I heard a lot of people speaking about Catholicism and I started getting a little irritated because I believed a lot of pastors were saying things about Catholicism that was kind of a misrepresentation, wasn't really accurate. I just felt like, hey, if we're going to speak against Catholicism, let's get it right. So I started studying Catholicism. I mean, I I, I bought the, uh, was it 1994 when the New Catholic Catechism came out? I think it was 1994. I'd have to look that up. I got the New Catholic Catechism. I started, you know, reading this and reading encyclicals and, and just everything, you know, Catholicism, 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 just reading and reading and reading and reading, trying to get an understanding of a Catholic understanding of the gospel. And you start realizing it's not imputed righteousness, it's infused righteousness. Then I start learning a little bit more about 
the London Baptist Confession of Faith. And I'm like, once again, it's really emphasized that we're justified by an imputed righteousness, not an infused righteousness. And I keep trying to see this distinction, right? That my salvation is not what on uh, what I do, it's what Christ did. In Christ, I'm perfect, holy. In practice, I may fail 15,000 different ways, but all my sins are paid for and I'm covered in an imputed, imputed righteousness. So how do I understand lordship and and still maintain a, a emphasis on an imputed righteousness, not an infused, maintaining a focus on Christ's work, not my work. Like I started, I, I I couldn't really piece all of it together, but I was I was but I was still maintaining a major like lordship stance. Well then I, I finally come to Texas, I become a pastor. Um Lordship, Lordship. We're coming in with Lordship. We're coming in with Lordship. We're coming in with Lordship. And so um, I, I I definitely, uh, Dr. Uh, our, well, Brother Cloud, David Cloud from uh, the fun, uh, what's his, Way of Life Literature. That's the name of his website. Way of, Way of Life Literature had written a book, Repentance is More Than a Sinner's Prayer. Well, I got that book for everyone in my church because they were hardcore KJV only. And so I knew they wouldn't read MacArthur. So I gave them that book. But once again, trying to move towards a lordship view because I thought that was the, and, and David Cloud was giving a very lordship view. So I was like, okay, this is still lordship, but it's not MacArthur. So I don't have to get into any of the controversies about not using the King James. I don't have to get into any controversy, whatever. All right. So um, we, you know, I, I kept going, kept going, but I still was maintaining a lot of study of Roman Catholic theology. I was reading more and more like, you know, uh, books that were being read at Catholic seminaries. And then over time, I enrolled in a Catholic university to pursue a degree in theology from a Catholic university so that I could better understand it. And while there, I had to do a lot of reading and writing and discussing with classmates and professors about things related to salvation. And they knew that I wasn't Catholic. I mean, it was very, I made it very clear when I was enrolling, hey, I'm not a Catholic, but I want to know Catholic theology. And they welcomed me with open arms. Everybody was super cool, nice. They asked me lots of questions. And I don't remember exactly how it all played out perfectly, but basically they were telling me, look, you you say you're not Catholic, but if you hold the lordship, that's about as Catholic as you can get. That lordship salvation, the way MacArthur puts it, is basically Catholic light. It's Catholicism without the Pope. It's Catholicism without using the words infused righteousness. It's a works-based system. And I kept saying, how dare you say that to me? And they're like, well, wait a minute. Do you believe you're saved by an imputed righteousness and that Christ paid for all your sins and that you cannot lose your salvation? Well, then why are you then turning around saying, hey, you're saved by an imputed righteousness, but if you don't do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, then you are never saved. Well, that means you got to do those things in order to be saved, because if you don't do them, you're not saved. And then how are you doing them? Through an imputed righteousness or an infused righteousness? And I was like, stop talking. You are confusing me. And then little by little, I started moving away from a lordship view and, and kind of returned back to my Lutheran studies. And started looking at things more from a proper law gospel distinction and started moving away and started really emphasizing imputed righteousness versus infused righteousness and started em- emphasizing my position in Christ versus my practice in life. 
And slowly but surely, I moved away from it. But ever since I've tried to move away from it, I still tell people, read The Gospel According to Jesus by John MacArthur. I still tell everyone to read it. We have copies of the book all over the place in our church. I have the original. I have the updated version. Was it 2008 when they come up? I, I, I have every edition of the thing, right? I have it because I always tell people, read it because this is one of the most influential books in evangelical and modern evangelical history. I don't think that's an, an understatement. People who never read MacArthur's book have been influenced of, with a very lordship view of salvation, a very, very lordship view. And they can say, well, I didn't get it from MacArthur. I got it from the Bible. Okay, you still can't deny the influence of that book on the evangelical church and the evangelical mind. So I still tell people to read it. I still beg people to read it because I want them to hear MacArthur explain it in his own words. But I obviously have moved away from that position and hold to much more a proper law gospel distinction, emphasizing imputed righteousness, Definitely reject infused righteousness as a counter gospel. I completely reject it. Um, <laughs> someone says, does the updated version make it easier to be a Christian? Uh, no, I think it probably makes it harder. Okay. But I, dig- but I digress. But I digress. Okay. Someone in the comments just made that uh, comment, which is kind of funny. So, I, But I still tell people to read it. Now, why did I go through that entire story? about me driving down Butternut Street, buying the book. Well, one, I just want you to understand the absolute influence that book had on my life. Because I didn't know anything. Like, I just thought that was the God. People said, that's Lordship. That's MacArthur. I'm like, no, that's the gospel. Like, I didn't, I, I, I could not distinguish, distinguish it from anything else. It was really Catholics who tried to make me realize that's not really Protestantism. That's not really what you got. The Protestant Reformation was about like that. That's really denying the entire Reformation, right? You, you, you're like, we refuse. We reject infused righteousness and we believe in an alien foreign righteousness that's imputed to us. And then you create a system that basically is an infused works based system. And I'm like, no, MacArthur said it's not works based. He, he says, and, and they're like, well, you can say it, but if you'll just think about it logically, it's workspace. And so that's when I started questioning it. And I hate the fact that I was so, I didn't realize, I real, I just, I, I just hate that I didn't really catch on. I think if I would have stayed Lutheran, I would have been to catch on a little bit more because I think a proper law gospel distinction really begins to kind of cause some havoc. And I, I wish I would have had a better understanding of certain scriptures that were constantly quoted. But the reason I mention all of that is because there is a book called the gospel, A Gospel of Doubt, the legacy of John MacArthur's The Gospel According to Jesus. I received the email just a few hours ago from faithalone.org. Faithalone.org. Now, pro-lordship people, the minute they hear faithalone.org, they'll be like, that's heretical. No, right? Because it's a, obviously it's not a lordship site, right? Those who are pro lordship won't read it, but I, I would still, ch- look, I tell everyone to read the gospel according to Jesus. Maybe you should read something that would offer a different perspective just to see what happens. But faithalone.org sent me an email because they're advertising a book. The book is called A Gospel of Doubt, The Legacy of John MacArthur's The Gospel According to Jesus. 
The book, I guess, is originally $22. There's currently have a sale going on. They're selling it for $11. $11. Here is the description. For the doubters that you may find assurance in Christ, not in your works. I love that description. This is for the doubters. This is for anyone who ever doubts or questions their salvation, right? That you may find assurance. Where do you find that assurance? In Christ, not in your works. Really, you got two options. You're going to look for assurance in what you do or don't do. So either one, you're going to so emphasize what you do do that it almost leads to a level of self-righteousness, and you're going to play down what you don't do till you almost blind yourself to you'll become judgmental and condemning of those who have similar weaknesses. It, it almost leads to a self-righteous condemning spirit. I, believe, I truly believe that, right? Because you've got to convince yourself you're passing all the test. This is from the introduction. David versus Goliath, Auburn versus Alabama, Ali versus Foreman, Coyote versus Roadrunner. If you're expecting this book to be an all out, take no prisoner competition with MacArthur, then think again. It's first and foremost, a search for truth. This book isn't written to smear John MacArthur. He holds biblical positions on many important issues such as on inerrancy, the view that the Bible has no errors of any kind, traditional marriage, verse-by-verse expository preaching, uh, cessationism, uh, the view that the signed gifts are not operating today, young earth creation, that the, the view that the earth and men were created around uh, 4,200 BC, the universal no, uh, f- uh, flood of Noah, not a regional flood only, male leadership in the home, and local church, elder rule, etc., MacArthur's graduate uh, graduate school, the Master Seminary, is a fine school. It takes conservative stands on all the issues just mentioned. Faculty like Robert Thomas, uh, David Farnell, uh, Dick Mayhew are well known for the defense of the scriptures. In many important ways, MacArthur is a champion for biblical truth. However, the gospel according to Jesus... MacArthur champions a view called Lordship Salvation. It is a view that in order to have everlasting life, one must turn from his sins, submit to Christ's Lordship, obey him, and persevere in faith and good works until death. Lordship Salvation is not a minor issue. It is a major issue. The question of what one must do to have everlasting life is an important one. In fact, it's more important than any other. And then it says Galatians 1, 6 through 9. Well, you know Galatians 1, 6 through 9, right? Now, this is where you, this becomes where you, it, this is not some secondary issue. This becomes very, 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 very important. We all know this passage, right? Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. The question is, is lordship salvation a perversion of the gospel? Well, non-lordship versus lordship, they both can't be right. One of them has to be a perversion. One of them has to be a perversion. Which one is the perverted gospel? Which one is a corrupted gospel? Is it non-lordship or lordship? 
I mean, you, you really can't because they're saying ab- absolutely opposite things. Now, you can draw your own conclusion. It says, all right, so lordship salvation is not a minor issue. It's a major issue. The question of what one must do to have ever, everlasting life is more important than any other. Proclaiming the right message is a matter of life and death. So while this book isn't a competition, we would be like the Bereans who search the scripture to evaluate what is true. That's Acts seventeen eleven. If we are, we will be able to discern what is true and what is false and what we read and hear. This is especially important when it comes to the message of everlasting life. MacArthur has not always held to lordship salvation. The reason that the first edition of the Gospel According to Jesus was not published before 1988 is because he did not embrace the view until 1980. At that time, MacArthur went on a sabbatical and studied the Puritans, the English branch of Calvinism. The reason why the title for this response uh, to the gospel according to Jesus is called a gospel of doubt is because MacArthur's lordship salvation produces doubt and those who accept its teaching. Now, I, I will, I will only make a little, I'm going to add something here. I do believe it, uh, it leads to doubt for some. I think those who, who are just over, like anyone who embraces lordship salvation. I think there's a minority of a minority of a minority who are overcome by doubt. I believe the majority, the majority embrace it, think that they're passing the test and then just condemn everyone else. I think it leads more to self-righteousness and a condemning spirit than it does to doubt. Someone just said this. Would it be fair to say it's not about the gospel proper but that lordship deals with quality of a person's faith and not the quality of the gospel. Hmm. I cannot, I would have to, I would have, we would have to have a discussion so that I completely understand what you're saying. I, I believe it's going after the gospel itself. I believe it's a completely different gospel. That's, that's the conclusion I've come to, right? I believe it's just giving you a completely different gospel. Hey, how are you saved? Well, you got to do this and this and this. And if you don't, you were never saved. So therefore I have to do it in order to be saved. That to me is a completely different gospel than how are you saved? Through the finished work of Jesus Christ and his imputed righteousness alone. To me, those are not the same. That's my own personal feelings, but I do understand that maybe there are some room there for it to not sound so divisive and so black and white but I feel it's more black and white just after all of my journey through it. But I am more than willing to acknowledge that maybe it's not quite as black and white, but I definitely feel like it is. But to the person who messaged me, you can let me know and we can talk it out and and, and I'll do better try to understand your perspective and have no problem coming back and turning on the microphone going, well, someone just helped me see that maybe it's not so black and white. But here we go. So the reason why this, the title of this response uh, is called A Gospel of Doubt is because MacArthur's Lordship Salvation produces doubt in those who accept its teachings. Again, I don't think it does in most people. Most of the people I know who held lordship, they don't doubt anything. They always think they passed the test. They always think, We're, I'm good. But it always leads them to call into question everyone else's salvation. They're always condemning, judgmental, self-righteous. That I, Not only in me, I just saw it everywhere. Now, according to MacArthur's gospel, one, not, one cannot be sure of where he will spend eternity until after he dies. That is really true. Now, you tell some people who hold the lordship, they're like, no, 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 you can have assurance today. No, you can't. You got to wait till you get to the end to see if you did, if you, if you passed the test and you persevered. 
Now, I do believe in the perseverance of the saints, but I believe it's Christ. It, Christ keeps me saved. I'm going to persevere because I'm saved by an imputed righteousness by the works of Christ. But that's a whole different subject. All right. Um, it is true, however, that MacArthur, like the Puritan theology he follows, urges people to search their works in hopes of finding reasons to believe that they will end up in Jesus' kingdom. But according to MacArthur, that very search produces doubts that one is born again and secure because no one's works are perfect. That's true. The minute you look to someone's death, see, that's the thing that always drove me crazy about MacArthur's test. Here's how you know you're saved. Now, wait a minute. No one's going to do it perfectly. (laughs) Wait, so I got to, I got to look to these tests to see if I'm saved, but no one's going to do it perfectly. Well, then that's going to create doubt. I'm always blown away when these kinds of sermons are preached in churches and everyone's just like, amen, amen. I'm like, what are you amening? Okay, if you're listening to the test, you fail it. Well, nobody's perfect. Well, then either the test is meaningless or you're going to have doubt or you have to convince yourself that you do it producing a form of self-righteousness where you have to say, I thank thee, God, that I'm not like these other people. Now you say, no, 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 we never say it that way, but you have to think that way. A gospel of doubt advocates the same basic view that MacArthur himself held before 1980. Before that time, MacArthur said that the certainty could be found simply in believing the promise of everlasting life, not in looking at one's works. If you appreciate John MacArthur and his views, you should consider the biblical evidence cited in the Gospel of Doubt. As he himself says, no man is perfect. No man is a perfect expositor of God's word. No man infallibly proclaims the word of God. That includes MacArthur and me and every writer and preacher. Only scripture is without error. I hope you will prayerfully read this book, asking God to show you if your understanding of God's word and of the condition for receiving everlasting life are correct. The gospel of doubt. Now they have a video here called The Gospel of Doubt, Chapter 1. They have all the chapters broken down into these little videos. So I thought we would grab one and review one of them. It's relatively short. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to faithalone.org. I want you to look up the book, A Gospel of Doubt, The Legacy of John MacArthur's The Gospel According to Jesus, and I would like for you to get a copy. Um, we will, I don't know currently the financial situation at the church, but if we have some money, we will be giving some of these away as soon as I can. And I will try to give away as many as possible, depending on how much money we have. Anybody want to help support us being able to give away a few more copies, then by all means, you can go to theologycentral.net, hit the donate tab, and that money goes directly to the church. It doesn't go to me. And then I'll use that money to order books for people who can't afford one, okay? Or who just wants, who doesn't want to spend money on it, okay? Whatever the case may be. Uh, But um, we will try to see how many we can give away because I I would like to give away some. So I will let you know, though, we'll do a special podcast episode on that whenever I know. I don't want to make any promises currently, but I would like to. Being a small church in the middle of nowhere, Texas, you do have sometimes limited resources, um, I wish I had all an unlimited amount of resources, and then we would do an unlimited amount of things to help people. But, but I do want you to hopefully have the money to get this. Even if you don't have the money to get it, if you go to faithalone.org and look up the book, at the bottom, you have two pages of videos where I guess they summarize each chapter. I don't know. I haven't watched any of the videos, but I definitely... Uh, converted one of the videos to mp3 so that we can listen to the audio of it. So we're going to listen to the audio of the first video and see, but it's called A Gospel of Doubt, The Legacy of John MacArthur's 
the gospel according to Jesus. Now, I know many of you have a completely different journey. Some of you may have been in a non-lordship view and then moved to a lordship view. Others of you may have gone from a lordship back to a non-lordship or or, or gone to a lordship. Who knows? There's all these variations of people going different directions. I know that. All I can do is share my story. And my story is, I thought it was the gospel. I didn't know it was lordship gospel. I just thought it was the gospel. Then I started using the term lordship, obviously, and I started preaching it and teaching it and basically placing those demands upon people that you're not really saved unless you do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z, and probably added a few more letters of things that people needed to do. While I was convincing myself I was doing it, when I re- if I was even remotely honest with myself. Now, now, there was a time I was filled with doubt. There was some doubt. But then I, then, you know, once I was like, okay, well, I got, I'm just going to do more of the things I know I'm doing right. I will, I will emphasize that, elevate that and really double down on the good things I do and just kind of ignore the bad things I do and just say, well, I know they're bad, but I'm just not going to, because I had to, I had to some way to convince myself I was passing the test. And every time I would look at the test, I'd be like, come on now. There's just no, okay, okay. I got it. I do. I know I can do this. I know I can do it. And I just think anyone's honest with the test. I think the person listening, I think the person listening uh, who's commenting, I think it was their church who recently did uh, some kind of study where I think it gave them a 25-point 20, test. I know the 11-point test. I know a 14-point test. But a 25-point test? That Like what in the world? Like, <laughs> like how do you grade the 25-point test? Like if you get seven right, do you pass? If you get 14 right? I, like, I don't even know how to grade all of the tests to supposedly prove you're saved. I know how to – I know how to uh, – what I – the only way I know how to grade – yeah, 25, yep – um, I know the way I know to know I'm saved is what is my hope? What is my comfort in life and in death? It is the finished work of Jesus Christ. It is his shed blood who paid for all of my sins and it hit, and it's my sins being imputed to him. He pays for all of them. They're washed away. All my sins are paid for. So how can a sin or sins prove that I'm not saved when they've all been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, right? And that by faith, his perfect righteousness is imputed to me. So you can look at my life and go, you're not saved. And I will be, or you can give me the 25 test, 25 question test. And you know what I'll say? Every one of them for everyone, you know what I would write down? Jesus accomplished it. Jesus accomplished it. Jesus accomplished it. Jesus accomplished it for every demand you put on me, because the Bible says we will be judged according to our works. And I got no problem saying that we're judged according to our works. And guess what? In Christ, his works are imputed to me. So guess what? I can stand before God and he sees all the works of his son, which are perfect. That's why he can say, you know, well done, my good and faithful servant, because Christ was the good and faithful servant. And in him, I am a good and faithful servant. The Bible constantly says we're going to be judged according to our works, judged according to our deeds. Well, that's right, because my deeds would condemn me. But I, I, as a Christian, I stand in Christ. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I'm, he is my identity. 
So the works that are demanded are provided to me. The righteousness that is demanded is provided to me. The holiness that is demanded is provided to me by Christ. And it's provided by being accredited to my account. It's a foreign righteousness. It's an alien righteousness. It's a forensic justification is the theological term. We are justified as a legal declaration. I'm legally declared to be that which I am not in practice. And we've lost that. We've lost it. And it's almost like the Protestant Reformation never occurred. And we are now have this, it's a, it's a, um, it's almost like some kind of a, a, a I don't know what you call it. It's, al- it's almost some kind of a uh, mixture of Catholicism. But I thought we would review this video. It's very short. Uh, and so let's do that. And uh, I challenge you to go get the book. So here we go. Dr. John MacArthur, in his book, The Gospel According to Jesus, says that if people really understood what the Greek word doulos and the Greek word kurios meant, then they'd never come up with anything other than lordship salvation. And what he's basically saying is the word doulos means slave, and the word kurios means lord or master. And so what he's trying to say is that to be a believer in Jesus Christ means that you have submitted yourself to his lordship. You have yielded to him as his slave. You have promised and committed to be a slave for the rest of your life. The problem with that view is that the word that the scriptures use is belief. He who believes in him has everlasting life. As Lewis Berry Chafer famously said, there are over 150 verses in the Bible that say that the one who believes in him is justified, the one who believes in him has everlasting life. And so this idea that we somehow need to submit ourselves to him as his slave is wrong. He's also wrong because he misdefines slave. He makes it seem like being a slave of Jesus is a bad thing. Being a slave of Jesus is a very good thing. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. It's kind of like saying being in the the president's cabinet is a bad thing. No, if you're secretary of state or secretary of defense or secretary of the treasury, those are exalted positions. If you're a vice president, that's an exalted position. So if we're slaves of Jesus Christ, that's an exalted position. But that's a discipleship issue, not a justification issue. And in fact, his first chapter is entitled, What Does Jesus Mean When He Says, Follow Me? And so the point is, he's trying to say that following him is a condition of eternal life. No, that's the position of Roman Catholicism. According to the scriptures, the condition is believing in Jesus. And that raises a whole separate issue, which is some believe discipleship and salvation are the same thing. That when you're called to salvation, you're called to discipleship. So you look up all those scriptures that say, if you're going to be a disciple, you'll do this, 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 this. That is salvation. If you're going to, if you're truly a Christian, then you will hate father and mother. You will die to yourself. You will take up your cross. All of those commands for discipleship are now seen as commands for salvation. All right. Um, 
True, true, true. Uh, it's, it's funny, if you focus on just being a slave, you're, you're forgetting all the other things we're called. We're called sons. Uh, we're called the chosen. We're called uh, uh, co-inheritors with Christ. We're part of the bride. There's a lot of other things we're called as well. But I do believe the understanding of Lord and quote unquote being a slave and a follower, I do believe you have to make a distinction. I think this is a very, this is a very controversial thing, but I do think you have to make a distinction of finding all the scriptures that say, do this if, if you're going to be my disciple and look at all the commands and all of what's required. I mean, that's a works-based system. So either you basically go back to Catholicism saying, well, this is how, this is a part of your justification. Or are you like, no, 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 my justification is by alien righteousness, but I am called to a life of following. I am called to be a disciple, but discipleship is separate from salvation. Others blur the lines. Well, if you blur the lines, you've got all these scriptures that say, this is how you would have to present the gospel. Do you want to be saved? Well, you have to hate mother and father. You have to take up your cross, die to self, deny self, follow Christ. You have to, you have to do all of these things. And people say, no, no, you don't do them to get saved. But if you don't do them, you're not saved. Well, then you're telling them you got to do them to be saved. Okay. And you can't say, well, if someone gets saved, it's just a natural thing they do. Because I've known Christians my whole life who, guess what? They, lo- they love their mother, father, and they love this world far more than they love Christ over and over and over because we all fall, fall short there. They don't die to self. If, if, if all Christians truly died to themselves, why are there church splits? <laughs> Why do Christian marriages end in divorce? If everyone's dead to themselves, we would all be getting along pretty well, wouldn't you think? So well, there you have it. I, I just wanted you to hear a little bit of it. So, so I guess what they do is these videos are just very, very like, you know, like a two minute summary of kind of what's in each chapter of the book. But I would just challenge you to get the book. Go to faithalone.org, A Gospel of Doubt, The Legacy of John MacArthur's The Gospel According to Jesus. And hope you will check it out. You will read it. Hopefully you will benefit greatly from it and we can talk about it. And if we can, we'll give some copies away. But I would challenge you to purchase a copy today. I'm going to purchase a copy and then we'll definitely be talking about it some more. Now, we've talked about this subject so much, but um, it's, it's always a subject we can return to. Right now, our focus is the book of Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah. That's what we're focusing on for three months. But um, we we can make room for this as well. We got a, a I got a stack of other books here that we need to work on uh, as well. I got a stack of books here that we need to work on, but we'll get to them at a later time. We're going to move this one to the top of the list, at least for emphasizing it right now uh, so that people will get it. For those participating in the Bible study exercise, do not let it mess up your reading of the book of Jeremiah. All right. Thanks for listening. Hopefully, you'll find this beneficial. And hopefully my journey through all of this at least will let you know I am aware of all the issues, okay? I don't want someone to say, well, if you really understood it, I think I've read the gospel according to Jesus. I can't even tell you how many times. Um, and so I I have preached that message forever, but I, I'm, in some ways I'm grateful I went to a Catholic university because they're the ones that kind of said, uh, even even he said it right there, that's Roman Catholicism. Well, I had Roman Catholics telling me that's Roman Catholicism. Okay, they were like, "What are you talking about?" Okay, and I'm like, "Never mind. Uh, I, I I believe in grace. Oh, you really do. You believe in a salvation by grace, but okay." So uh, I I you know, begin to realize I'm, I'm making a fool of myself here. So uh, the London Baptist Confession was super helpful. 
Look at the, it's a paragraph on justification that was very helpful because it distinguishes imputed versus infused. Understanding law and gospel from a Lutheran perspective was super helpful. And uh, truly understanding those kinds of things um, was helpful. And then understanding Roman Catholicism better. That's what kind of moved me away from it. But I'm going to get 100 emails of people disagreeing, and I understand. That's fine. That's fine. Look, hey, you think you passed the test, and you think you're good enough to get to heaven? More power to you. I just know I'm not good enough. I will never be good enough. And I will never pass any test you give me other than in the one who passed the test for me. And that is the finished work of Jesus Christ. You look to your works, I'll look to his works. You look to what you're doing, I will look to what he did. You look to what you're trying to do, I will look to the shed blood of Jesus Christ who paid for it all. You look to your righteousness, I will look to his perfect righteousness. I think the choices are clear. You can do whatever you feel comfortable with. I'm going to trust in the finished work of Christ because if I don't, well, then I'm condemned. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.